Tis the season for festive football, and if you can't make it to a game, then the best place to watch a match is at your local Green King Sports pub, of course. Nothing better than a refreshing pint, delicious food, and live Christmas crackers in the Premier League. Every fixture from TNT, Sky, and Amazon is live at Green King Sport. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. You can watch every winning goal, top bins volley, and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Both of Fulham's games over Christmas against Bournemouth and Arsenal are on the box. So if you're away for the festive period and you can't get to the match, head to your local Green King Sport pub instead. Also, download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off every drink every time there is sport on the telly. The link is in the description of this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show of the Carabao Cup semi-finalists, Fulham FC. In today's podcast, we'll be looking back at Tuesday night's victory on penalties. Could have it been any more dramatic? What a night at Goodison Park for those that made the trip. And what a night for all of us Fulham fans watching around the world as Marco Silva's side made history on Merseyside. Tossing Adarabayo's winning penalty after a man of the match performance sealed our place into the final four. And I'm joined, at least for most of the podcast anyway, by the regular Thursday club of Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. How you doing? Good, thank you. And Peter Rutzler's here. Hello. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Jack. How are we doing? Good. What's vibes today? You're making the ultimate sacrifice. You're technically on annual leave, but you're just, after that, you just couldn't stay away. Can't keep away, mate. Can't keep away. Not after, not after last night. Too much fun. Oh, such a good evening. And um, I've honestly had the biggest smile on my face all day. I couldn't get to sleep last night. I was just so buzzing over over what happened. So um, You're only buzzing around your own prediction. What are you on about? <laughs> yeah, there's the real right. reason. <laughs> right, we'll, come, we'll, come, we'll come on to it. Don't worry. I've got a whole part of the podcast uh, de- devoted to that. Um, Jack, what were the best three world reviews that came in from last night's pod? There was loads of them, uh, as you might expect, and there were some some great ones. I like Fulham fan news's Toffees Are History, uh, referencing the the old song that's played. Uh, Rich Bamba with the History Boys was was great. Motor City Fulham, uh, Fulham Detroit said Tosin Topples Toffees. Uh, Colin McNabolis says perfectly picked penalties. Uh, this from Robbie Merch, Gladys really over. Very good. Very, very good. Um, shout out, Robbie, what a bloke. Um, the Gordon said, sticky toffee heaven, which was excellent. Uh, and Dan McGrath, Dan the sound man, with toffees wrapped up. All right, let's get into it then. Peter, blow by blow, how was last night? Oh, it was good, wasn't it? It was good. Um... Goodison by name, <laughs> yeah. goodison by nature. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was never going to be easy, was it? You know, Everton have won four on the spin. Just the whole club has been galvanised by their points deduction. Uh, they're playing really good football. Uh, typical Sean Dyche in football, direct, fast, but also pretty intelligent build-up play at times. You know, if you get caught by them, you'll get hurt by them. And um, I think there was coming into this game. I think there was a sense of this is an opportunity. Everyone can see the draw, um, but also. Having seen how well Everton were doing, it was almost like a realization that this this could be really tricky. And they had a couple of interesting absentees. So No Decore was big. Um, Branthwaite had to go out to left back. Um, but what Fulham would have to do in this game is do something that they're not always known for doing, um, and that's be pretty defensively resilient, but mainly in duels and uh, dealing with aerial bombardments, basically. Um, you know, Everton got the ball wide really well, got the ball into the box very often. Um, but Fulham were able to sort of withstand that. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about Tosin later in the podcast, but he was excellent during the game, you know, and obviously it's called the winning penalty, but really sort of stood out in that in that capacity. And um, it, it wasn't an easy game. You know, Fulham didn't always play their best football. They had they had spells where they were, they were effective. Um, I think they were really disappointed. There was real disappointment, I think, to concede. The, and, and the way they conceded because it was just not in keeping with the rest of their sort of overall performance. Um, 
but the, obviously the most impressive thing was just the composure they kept. You know, I, you can't really overstate how difficult it is at Goodison Park when you're, you're taking penalties, you're taking second as well, which statistically is a disadvantage. Um, in front of the Gladys Street end, you know, you've got Jordan Pickford dancing all over the place. Um, and to, to come through, you know, with Everton, of course, having the chance to win it and that Andre Anana penalty was was absolutely appalling. Um, it's Adam Ola-Lukman flashbacks, that one. Um, <laughs> but to, to keep the composure, to, to, to sustain it, um, and considering all the penalty problems Fulham have, you know, I've had in the past, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was a fantastic performance. Um, and just another, another step of progress, really, isn't it? You know, under... Under Marco Silva, it just it feels like there's always an improvement. You know, that's the next thing. You know, quarter final, last quarter final ended up in you know, blew up in smoke, didn't it? Um, this was literally about composure. This whole performance, which is the complete antithesis of what happened at Old Trafford. Um, there's your progress. Progress with penalties. Progress for the first ever semi final. You know, it's what a night, and you could see how much it meant to the away end. We were in such good voice as well. Really, really, you could, you know, when it's a big game because you can feel it and you, you could sense it off the away end. It was a bit more edgy around in the home end at, at times, but but not from the travelling support. So um, yeah, famous night and uh, an enjoyable one as well. Yeah, Jack. I mean, your thoughts after that? I mean, it's it's this is history in the making, and people maybe if you're from another that you don't support full and might listen to this and like, all right, chill out, lads. It's the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup, but this means so much to us. We don't do this. Yeah, I mean, never famously have ever done this before. It is one of those. It's Fulham's first semi-final since the Europa League run under Roy Hodgson. It's been pretty remarkable the reaction in the last twelve hours or so. It does feel a little bit walking on a dream, and and that's it, and that's part of the roller coaster ride of supporting this football club. To quote Keith Allen, it, it is that great journey, and it's a step on it that you know felt unlikely, and, and perhaps this is in. I was listening to Dan Cook of this parish on BBC Radio this morning, and he was basically saying this is Marco Silva's greatest season so far as Fulham manager, not necessarily because of the way that we're playing. Obviously, the championship season was incredible, but Fulham were expected to be, if not dominant, then at least up there in the echelons of that division. Last season, incredible start, but I think people started to realise that Fulham were a force to be reckoned with by this point in the campaign. And, and by this point, we you know secured safety and the rest of it kind of, petered out is probably the wrong word, but the second half of the season probably didn't have the same level of, you know, attacking it, I suppose, than, there was, than the first there half. Was no adver- there was no adversity last season to overcome, really, as well. Whereas this season, you well, know, I, maybe really that's a bit, robots. maybe that's a bit re- revisionist in the obviously when we started and, you know, the nerves before that first game against Liverpool and the fact that there was the yo yo tag hanging over it. I think that's a bit harsh in terms of maybe it, there was jeopardy at the beginning of the season. But by this point in the campaign, we'd overcome that. We'd basically, uh, you know, accrued enough points at this point that we knew pretty comfortably that unless something went drastically wrong, we were going to stay up. There were a number of teams worse than us. And this season, I think having to deal with one, the relatively poor start, at least in terms of performances, if not in points, and obviously losing Mitrovic and not really replacing him, and the Polina saga, and the, the fact that Marco had his head not turned, but was was under demand in the summer. I think this, in terms of a turnaround from where we were eight weeks ago to what we've achieved last night, is, is truly remarkable management. And to have done that with the squad at his disposal without necessarily dipping his toes too far into the market in terms of you know being, bringing in big names, it's been pretty spectacular. And I think that that probably deserves the credit you know, it's due at this point in the pod. He's working with what he's got. That's it, isn't it? He's improved. He's improving it's, people. It's yeah, improving people. You know, like Jimenez is a, such a good example. I know he wasn't involved last night and he had his red card, but he feels like he can, he has a part to play now. Um, and just to, I, I completely agree. Like to put it into context, you know, last year Fulham won more Premier League games than they've won before in the, in the top flight. Like, that was a first season back <laughs> in the Premier League, and that's such a high bar. And yet, we're saying this year was is better and has been better so far. There's still room to run, but um, yeah, under, yeah, it's really, really impressive. 
Yeah, it's it's so good what he's done. And as you say, this isn't a short turnaround of time. The November International Break Rule Doom and Gloom. Now we've won Premier League matches with free scoring in, in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. It's um it's it's a remarkable turnaround, even just about a month, let alone from the beginning of the season, etc. Peter, let's just look back at the match. I think last night Everton started strongly. It wasn't the world's most high quality match of football, but I think the way that Fulham held on and then got their noses in front after a really Really well-worked move. Good play by Muniz. Good play by Willian. Obviously, Robinson with a dangerous cross that uh, that hit Michael Keane and went in. Getting that lead at the break felt pivotal. And, and on another day, had it not been for a lapse in concentration, could have probably settled this game because Fulham... At one point, I thought we might actually do this and go all the way and keep the clean sheet and just make it a nice 1-0 win. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't the easiest on the eye, I think. It was quite cagey. It had that cup feel to it a little bit. Um, there was a spell in the first half quite early on where Fulham were playing their football. had sort of stepped into the Everton half, were moving the ball quite well, getting into good areas without necessarily hurting Everton. Um, but they sort of came back into it. You know, you could feel the crowd getting them back into it. And it, it, it was quite quiet. And then they had a couple of moments in those wide areas where it just kept kept getting round either Kenny Tete or Robinson and were just able to get crosses in. And there was a chance for Dwight McNeil where he, I think he, he blazed it over from things like Leno's right-hand side, could have squared it to Anana and it, it could easily have been 1-0. And then, then the inverse happened, you know. I think it, the goal sort of came after a period where Everton were just disrupting Fulham a lot, you know, really getting, you know, stopping them playing, um, intervening when they're trying to play the build-up. But then one move... They did manage to get into the final third and you get the, the fortune with the way it deflects into the net. But we've seen that pattern of play so often. Um, Willian holding the ball, Robinson making those runs. Uh, obviously, that's been a big, big factor in the way he sort of, they've tweaked that with either him going on his underlaps or overlaps. I know Cottage Tactico has done some stuff on on socials that you can see, which explains it really well. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that was the difference. Those, those Rehearsed patterns of uh, payoff. There's a fortune with a goal. Um, I, I liked what how Moon has played as well. He played his part in the goal. His hold up play is not easy playing against James Tarkovsky and and, and Michael Keane. And we could see that they're that sort of running battle in the second half where Tarkovsky absolutely smashes him in the back off yeah. the ball. Um, <laughs> I mean that was the most least subtle thing going. Um, and then he tries to to lash out back, so uh, no one saw that. So uh, both of us got, got away with it. What's wrong with our strikers? Why are they all MMA fighters? Like what? Know, we had Raul at the weekend. <laughs> had maybe last maybe it's night. part of the the Fulham USP. You know, it's all like the Mitrovic marker. You got you, there are certain requirements you have to reach to to, to play centre forward. But um, but I, 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 I thought his all round play was pretty good actually, um, which was really encouraging. And they, they they needed something at times because. Everton were just able to throw the ball back at the other end. They they love second balls; they're all over them, um, just to maintain that pressure. Um, but yeah, that first that sort of first half um, wasn't easy, and I think it became trickier in the second half, um, particularly as that half wore on. Yeah, I mean, Jack, the equaliser that that Everton scored via Beto was, and, and it's one of those that we won't gloss, we won't look at it too much because of what happened in the end, but. If that cost us the cup, I mean, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a bad clearance from Robinson, and then gets pinged back in. It kind of comes off Robinson's knee, but then everyone's so slow to react. Given the way that we defended to concede that goal, it is is annoying, and and really everyone would have been so upset if that was the reason that we went out of the cup. But obviously now we don't have to worry about it. But still, at the time, it was like, come on! Of all the, I, I wanted a screamer here. I would have understood that, but it was so sloppy after what was such a imperious defensive performance. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I thought Adebayo and Bassi were brilliant again last night and look I think the first time we saw them together was obviously the the Nottingham Forest game and there were a question mark of did they actually have to do very much but I think we've seen since then you know the growth as a pairing and the fact that they stepped back in yesterday and it felt very comfortable again and they really are a good partnership in terms of the way that they bounce off each other the way that they cover for each other's weaknesses the way that they exacerbate each other's strengths they feel like a a, a very assured team back there obviously there are going to be question marks I'm sure we'll get to them over Tosin's contract but it does feel like Fulham have a good thing going there if we can if we can harness that for the foreseeable future so yeah to concede in that way and especially considering you know this dice side are 
effective in the final third. They do look for those opportunities. We saw Calvert-Lewin kind of marshaled pretty well, to be honest, for the, for the entire game. I thought he didn't really get a sniff and they kept lobbing the ball up to him and it kept just coming back. And when you kind of look at the way that they changed that up to concede in that kind of manner with, you know, a player able to leap unchallenged in the box and, and nod one pass, I know is, is frustrating. There is an element of luck about that. Obviously the clearance should be better, but the way that it bounces up, et cetera, and everyone I think is slow to react because they're like, oh, this literally could have gone anywhere. I've got to wait to see where it actually is before I try and make a challenge. It is frustrating. It was probably avoidable, but I think the issues come from the pre-limb to it, if you will, rather than the actual you know, goal itself and the fact that no one's marking him. I don't think you can almost caveat for that because of the way that the ball went up, looped up into the air. But yeah, it should be cleared. And, and I think that considering there was such consummate defending throughout that second half up to that point you know there was a strike from Jack Harrison I think that whistled narrowly wide and you were thinking right if it's going to come it's going to come from something like that where it is a piece of magic that undoes Fulham and instead it's a little bit of you know our own doing a little bit of luck a little bit of pinball um yeah it it should be better but equally as you say if that had been the reason and we'd lost that penalty shootout we'd be sitting here bemoaning it all day as it is we can probably just let it pass us by. They didn't create that much at all in the second half. Actually, when you think about it, there was very little in terms of stuff that Leno had to do. He had to make one save. I think it was against Beto, but the flag went up uh, in yes. any case. And what was also quite frustrating was just before the goal, Silva was looking to bring on Diop and Castagna. And the change he did actually make after the goal actually switched the momentum of the game because the play he switched to sort of a back three it was like a three four three really with Pereira and Decodovery trying to get close to Vinicius um and then a four four was it sort of a, a five four one out, out of possession with Robinson and it was Tete in the end as wing backs um that sort of really swung the game I haven't we haven't really seen Fulham play like that certainly with a three um probably for that sort of amount of time and they start to it really work quite a few chances yeah it was it was something where I noticed us and I, I was thinking the same as you. I was like, if we'd have done this like five minutes earlier, might have we held on to this uh, to this to this one nil win? And maybe I think- that's a bit. There's a momentum swing in that as well, though. You know, obviously once they score the goal, there is a little bit of like, okay, don't concede, and you know we're yeah, now maybe, into the but you, So there is you have to consider the, that the other way as well, isn't it? Yeah, right, because going to home, win it, yeah. you know, you've got the crowd were up, like that's go and win it. You think you go the other way, so maybe probably a, probably a wee bit. Of I, I think yeah. the frustrating thing I found about the goal is I, I remember being adamant in the 60th minute and in the 70th minute those 10 minutes that I was like we're going to concede here we're just going to concede it's it's full and we're going to they're, they're going to score here and then as we got towards 80 I was like they're running out of ideas really fast they're overhitting passes you know even when they get chances they're offside and quite far offside as well Beto and Dan Juma didn't look like they were creating all of that much and I was like I think actually this is on and then just suddenly from a mistake and it was it was so frustrating but as you say Peter only one side was winning that in stoppage time it felt like we had a couple of real opportunities um, Robinson had a, a shot blocked and, and Deckard Overeed I think possibly had the best opportunity he uh we had it on the on the byline, didn't he? Tried to find Vinicius. The deflection could have gone anywhere. But yeah, that last added time, it felt like if there'd been another five minutes of added time, Fulham might have found a winner there because Everton were their feet. Yeah, well, you know, no extra time and that gets a lot of praise, but I think I think Fulham might have won it in extra time if that was the, the pattern of play. But I did actually quite like that it went to penalties. Um, I mean, just from a like, practical standpoint. <laughs> Being able to leave. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was interesting. I saw um, Jamie Carragher tweet about, you know, he said, how great is it that, you know, the two matches last night, obviously uh, Chelsea-Newcastle also went to uh, penalties. You know, how much drama that it creates by not having extra time. I mean, Jack, obviously, as a... Uh, a purveyor of world football and someone that uh, doesn't necessarily uh, agree with always um, popular thinking on on everything I would say to do with with football. I mean, do you agree on going straight, you know, World Cups and stuff like that? Part of me enjoys extra time occasionally, but also you do very often get turgid 30 minutes of football. And in the Carabao Cup, it's been a nice break. Yeah, bring back silver gold as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for that very nice way of saying I was a contrarian, by the way. I appreciated it. Um, <laughs> The, 
Yeah, I, I used to love silver goal. Didn't make any sense whatsoever. Score a goal and get to half time and you win it. Cool. Why? What? Who came up with that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we don't see golden goal very much anymore. I was I was a fan of that as well. That was fun. There's a that's the kind of thing that you only ever get to do on FIFA or FC twenty four, whatever it's called now. Um, so it's a, it's a bit of a shame we never see golden goal. I think there's a place for extra time. I'm not sure it's in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals though. I think actually. Mm-hmm. They're probably right in that these games, and especially in this tournament, which is seen as you know the third tier or the second tier cup competition within within England, there is space to try things and, and experiment a little bit more. And it's something we've talked about on ranks before, like ways to ways to make the Carabao Cup more exciting, ways to ways to get fans more engaged with it. And you know, you come up with lots of different ideas, and some of them are a little bit more outlandish than others, but you know, this kind of thing where you do get to see penalties, you know, it's not something you see regularly. Obviously, we've seen two of them this year with Fulham in terms of the Tottenham game and then obviously this as well. But it, it's something you don't often see, I suppose. And so at World Cups, mm-hmm. I think you have to give people the opportunity to play the games. Like there yeah, is no the fairest way to, to decide a game, right? There isn't, isn't it? Yeah, you know, there's you're actually playing the sport rather than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In World Cups, they should definitely not be taking away extra time. But in the Carabao Cup, this worked perfectly. I've got no no qualms with that whatsoever. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. And look, I think when you go to a game as it's well, it's like the second... Yeah, I know. But uh, the, the second round as well, like, it, it, I get it. Like, quarterfinals, I, if there had been extra time last night, I think it's an occasion worthy, maybe, of extra time. But certainly, like, I remember the second round against Spurs. It was a little bit like, let's get this done. Like, one way or the other, one of us just needs to go through, the other needs to go out, and we need to. I mean, that was obviously the sliding doors moment. This, uh, this run could have ended there. Uh, Jack, let's just talk about the penalties because. Boy, did Fulham put us through the ringer there. I When Bobby missed, I was just full on convinced. You just wait. To, you, I ne- rarely, do, I feel, as you see the winning penalty not go in. I mean, we can always be thankful of what the hell went through Andre Anana's head. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I did actually really like Sean Dyche's comments afterwards. They were like, if he'd scored... No one would have batted an eyelid. If, you know, if, if Leonard had gone the other way, everyone would have gone, oh, the calm, the composure to do that kind of thing. So it, it's a little bit six to one, half a dozen of the other. And I can understand the frustration from Everton fans and some of the videos, obviously, coming out of the Gladys Street end, incredibly funny. But, and I saw some tweets being like, if he just blasted it into like the stands over the roof of the, you know, the goal, I would have... I would have kind of been like, fair enough. <laughs> but I was like, well, it's the same, isn't it? It's the same outcome. It doesn't kind of matter. And I know it's easy for me to say this because I don't support Everton, but it doesn't matter how you miss. It's a bit like it doesn't matter how you score. Now, I agree in that the Fulham penalties were a little bit close to the wire for uh, for my liking. And there were a couple that Pickford got a hand to and couldn't keep out. And yeah, it was all, it was all a wee bit uncomfortable. But I do feel a little bit sorry for Andre Nana in that, yeah, obviously it's a bit stupid don't get me wrong I'm, I'm not there, there is an element of that you just obviously leather that one down the middle and hope for the best but like a miss is a miss then and you have to remember you know just a gay fully missed the goal in Sunday yeah. oh, he hits the post but that's a shot off target you know as far as the statistics are concerned that's arguably a worse penalty because there is zero chance of that going in like there is, there is more chance of bananas going in than there is of gays, and so I can understand the frustration, but I do think it was a bit over the top. And, and yeah, Dice was like, "Look, he has his technique, and it's worked for him in the past, and it's worked for him in this competition in the past, and this time it didn't." But you know, that's part of it. That's what penalty shootouts do to people. It, yeah, I, I think maybe the reaction was a little bit over the top from from a lot of like pundits as well. A lot of people being like, "It's the worst penalty ever. He should leave the club." Like. What? What are you on about? Like, obviously, it's just he's just kicked the ball a little bit softly. Like, it's probably not connected, right? It's a pressure penalty. Mm. This kind of stuff happens. Leno deserves a bit of credit because with those kind of penalties, it's they're looking for the keeper to move, right? He's he's looking for that to be sold, and he he sees what's coming, holds his ground, and and, and saves it really well. And that's exactly what Pickford does for Deckard over Reeds as well. Deckard over Reeds doesn't look as bad because he does a normal run up, but Deckard over Reed went for the whole "you're going to dive and I'm going to hit the other way," and then suddenly Pickford didn't dive, and it's an easy save. And by the point that Deckard over Reeds realised it's too late to change his mind or get the power back on the ball, I I was surprised Jack. It was, but I I mean, uh, 
look, I'm, I'm all happy to come on here and, and say the things I've called right this season, but I've been calling for Bobby Deckard over Reed to take penalties for have. years. I wasn't going to bring so, it up, um, so I'm grateful you did. Yeah, so, I, you know, look, one right, one wrong. Uh, You've got the right one so, right, if you want. If you, yeah, the, yeah. The one that fair. we want to be discussing. I, I haven't, still haven't got that one right, technically. Um, but, Peter, I think then... After that, um, I mean, some magic penalties in there. I think the moment for me was Anthony Robinson. And <laughs> I was just, I was just hoping and praying that he scored. Not just because obviously we needed to score to go through, but I was like, please don't let this be Robinson that misses it. Especially because you could probably say it's his mistake for the goal. And, you know, he has his detractors and he has a lot of good supporters. And I think he has much more admirers now. But like, I don't, I don't know if it would have, gone well for Anthony against his old club he, as well bad vibes yeah yeah if he'd have led to the goal and messed the penalties but he put it in the net like he was scoring against a five-year-old in a kid's goal it was his, his face hilarious. afterwards as well there was like no smile I was just like you know I've done yeah. it now yeah Ron, <laughs> there was not not just my first professional penalty uh, and a high stakes you know moment where if I miss we're out you know it's uh, is that his yeah, official really non celebration against his old club jacket? <laughs> it's like, oh, what do you mean? Got it, man. No, just, no just doing business. Yeah, just business. Yeah. Just business. Not um, personal. Peter, obviously, you wrote your article this morning in the Athletic, and uh, a lot of it was centered on tossing. And one thing that you noticed that I think people of us that we're watching at home, not in the ground, probably wouldn't have really noticed is that um, Tossin had extra pe- uh, pressure before before his penalty, if you want to explain. Yeah, so obviously Idrissa Gay smashes the post and that sends the ball flying, you know, up towards the, the dugouts on the far touchline. So rather than, you know, the, the classic walk up, collect the ball and put it down on the spot, take your penalty, Tosin has to walk basically towards the dugout, collect the ball and then go from there all the way to the spot. And you've got the crowd going as well. You've got, you know, Pickford doing what he's doing. I think he goes up, eventually goes up to Tosin and waves his arms in the air or something. I don't know. Um, but he has all of this time to think, you know, and that can go two ways if you're taking a penalty and you are the eighth penalty taker in the team. Um, so he had all of that going for his mind all the way up before he eventually gets to the spot, puts it down, deep breath. And I, I, I think with him, I, I kind of, you kind of felt like he was going to score because one of the, one of the things that's impressive about him, of course, is his ability on the ball and his composure on the ball. And, you know, sometimes you know, a pass will go wrong, but, he has that calmness and that composure and he's kind of the guy you you'd want in that position. He's able to have that clarity of thought, not be fussed about the extra yardage changing, maybe a routine he might've had, um, you know, with these penalties, there are so many processes that players will go through and things that disrupt it can really affect them. But, um, he, he did what he needed to do. And I think like a lot of the penalties, I know Pickford got a hand to them, but they were they were hit firm enough, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that almost felt like a, a rule that, that had been passed around, you know, that make sure there's something behind it just just so you're not caught out um, if the keeper can get there. So, and yeah, he did the business. People have been talking a lot about this, about the fact that Pickford got a hand to lots of the penalties. But I think that kind of on the flip side of that, if he'd kept any of them out, it would have been a remarkable save. And I think we'd be looking at it and going, oh, that's a, that's a stunning penalty save to actually do that. And whilst they were on the ground, so maybe they don't look as good as something like Georgi Petrovic's one against Matt Ritchie that happened later on, where he's flying through the air to tip it around the post, it would have been arguably a more difficult save to get down low. And actually, if he, if he had kept any of those ones out, it would have been very, very impressive. So it's probably something that just tips the balance there in in those kind of things. Whereas I think you look at the... You know, the Leno save and obviously the Pickford save from Deckard over Reed, and they're both good saves. They both do well to hold their nerve to, to basically hold their line before they're taken. But you're not like, oh, that's an outstanding save. I think any of the others would have been outstanding. And it's probably worth looking at that. Gosh, how Polinius was close as well, wasn't it? That, but was, again, that was the one. Hit that... really well, struck low it's hard it, um, in yeah. the corner. Like to get to it would have been stunning. I don't remember, I can't remember ever watching a penalty shootout like that where I was quite as emotionally invested as last night. And I know England have had some clutch ones over the years. I mean, I, I will always say it, I care much more about Fulham getting to the semi-final of the Carabao Cup than England getting to the World Cup semi-finals, as much as I still want England to win. But <sighs> I haven't felt I like that since over. 2002. <laughs> I was all over the place last night watching that. I was 
on my sofa, off my sofa, on the floor, b- turning round. Oh God, it was just pain. But look, we did it. Into the semi-finals we go, lads. Um, we don't exactly know who we're going to be playing yet. The draw is on Wednesday evening. Um, Borough, Chelsea, one of Liverpool or West Ham. I mean, we obviously want Borough, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've yeah. seen a couple of people being like, "Oh no, I want Chelsea." I mean, that would, be, that would be. Where would that rank? That would be possibly the biggest SW6 derby. Well, I guess there was the FA Cup semi-final. I was going to say the one at Villa Park. Park. Since then, that's it. Would be the biggest game since then between the two. Yeah, Jack Sammy, and I you made a very good, maths. important point, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, if we if we play Chelsea in the uh, in the in the semis, that's three in four games where we play Chelsea because we'd play with the first leg is before we go to Stamford Bridge. So there would definitely be two in a row then. Um, then in between is the fourth round of the FA Cup. Imagine if we drew Chelsea. Yeah, imagine if we drew Chelsea. (laughs) Four game series. (laughs) The decider. Yeah. I think anything but Liverpool, right? I think that's it. Although, to be honest, we've also discussed, obviously we're recording this before the Liverpool-West Ham game. <laughs> I think Liverpool beat us over two legs. Although, considering the scare that we gave them at Anfield, you know, anything is possible. Not given. I think that you look at West Ham. West Ham's the one I'm a bit like, actually, that's the one I want least. West Ham, I'm just convinced, would beat us over two legs. And especially after we gave it so much jip over being the 5-0, I'm just absolutely convinced <laughs> oh, yeah. West Ham would beat us over two legs. So I, I don't want either of the teams in that draw. If it's Chelsea, it's Chelsea, and we've just got to deal with the fact that we are just playing a SW6 series in the middle of January. Um, and if it's Borough, look, it, it's the one that you want. You have to kind of play the odds as best you can here. It's still, if anyone could lose to a championship side over two legs, it's Fulham, isn't it? Um, but, <laughs> but I think it's the, it's the in, in some ways, it's the obvious choice. It's also the correct choice. Yeah. And also the correct choice for the Sammy James podcasting immortality that will get there if we get to the Carabao Cup final. Oh, how I never will forget. I'm going to frame Peter's tweet, uh, text to me in the WhatsApp group when we drew Spurs. I will frame it. I will put it up in my living room forever and ever and ever. Um, we're this close. We're this close. Um, but we'll see. The draw is tonight after that Liverpool West Ham game. We'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Burnley. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. What a day today on the podcast. Uh, we'll do some emails that you sent in in a moment. But first of all, let's look ahead to Burnley on Saturday. 3pm kickoff at the Cottage. That's a, that's a nice rarity these days. And we face Vincent Company's Burnley, um, who... Uh, let's be honest, Jack, I think we all thought we're going to have a slightly better season than this one. And there's interesting parallels here because, of course, they were the champions of the championship after us. And I think like when we went up last year, everyone kind of was like, I think Fulham might be right in the Premier League this season. Everyone said the same about Burnley. Now, Fulham obviously even exceeded expectations by being more than all right in the Premier League. Um, Burnley have really struggled. But I, I honestly think, Jack, that's where the similarities between Burnley and Fulham end is the fact that we both won the championship at a canter. Yeah, I mean, playing nice football, playing, you know, mm. get a ball out from the back football and try and work it through, being able to mix it up in different ways in the attack. I think that that Burnley side in the championship were incredibly interesting. And their business this summer, I found incredibly interesting. And I think there was an argument at the start of the season that Burnley were maybe the most interesting team in the league because there were so many unknowns about what they were doing. They brought in so many players who were intriguing from across Europe. And, you know, truthfully, I think what we've seen is that they've struggled to adapt to the league to begin with. I would say that kind of since the 2-0 loss to Palace, where I thought they were quite poor, the game against Arsenal, I thought they looked better. The game against West Ham, they were very unlucky to lose. They then beat Sheffield United 5-0, but, you know, as we say, there's only so much you can learn from that kind of game. They were unlucky to lose to Wolves as well. They got a very good point away at Brighton. And then against Everton, they just got diced, which is kind of what you're expecting on his on his return to Turf Moor. 
there are things about this Burnley side that I think are getting better. They are starting to find some gears. They are starting to cut out the silly mistakes. They're still a little bit susceptible. And we saw this against Everton, but it's not the first time from set pieces. They're quite a small unit. And there is a sense that when a team gets on top of them, I think they crumble a little bit under the pressure. The first 20 minutes of this Everton game, Everton were all over them like a rash. And they couldn't get the ball out. They couldn't work out how to start moving. They have learned to go a little bit more direct of late. It's slightly more of a, a kind of four-four-two than we've been used to seeing from them over the last season and the start of this. But yeah, there are still kind of issues that I think teams can prey on in this Burnley side. But I, I would say that I think they're getting better. I think they're improving. I just think that this Fulham side in many ways are a kind of nightmare matchup for Burnley because it is just a sense of we've got the nous and you don't. And I think that will be the thing that comes to play at the weekend. But like you look at, you know, some of the players that come in, Zeki Amduni, I was a huge fan of at Basel, um, scored a lot of goals in the Conference League last year. Um, very, very interesting young striker, did well in the under 21 Euros as well for Switzerland. Um, that you know there are there are interesting players in in a lot of these different positions. Obviously, we've seen Koliosho end up injured now. He's going to be missing for a while. But you know, Lyle Foster came in there last year. He's an interesting player in in some different ways. We saw Mike Trezor go in there, who I, I quite like as a as a footballer. He came from Genk, I think. Um, and there were some interesting bits about what he did. But it just does feel like they've over-indexed on players who weren't used to the division. And they're struggling a little bit because of that. And look, I don't necessarily, as you said earlier on, subscribe to the theory that you have to be, you know, all experienced to succeed in the Premier League and you need a team full of vet grizzled veterans to get by. But I think you could say the same about what's going on at Chelsea, that you do need a little bit of now just to help everyone guide themselves through. And Burnley just seems to lack a little bit of that right now. Yeah, Peter, I feel like the worry for me is uh, after a big rise often comes a big fall. And um, I don't know, I'm a little bit worried about a, a case of after the Lord Mayor show on, on Saturday against Burnley, a side that's going to be fighting for their lives. And I feel like if if Fulham have any, any kind of drop in level because of the excitement on Tuesday, then, you know, we will get found out. This is a Burnley side that I know is Sheffield United, but they did win 5-0 only two or three weeks ago. They, they can turn it on on their day. And last year turned it on to get, well, did they get 100 points in the end? Or were they just short? They were certainly very close, whatever happened, Peter. So yeah, I'm slightly worried about, about Fulham's reaction on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, there's always a risk of that, particularly after you know, the, the emotion of the night and um, trying to get back down and refocus on the Premier League when it, you know, this will take probably the priority, I think, in, in, in a lot of in a lot of people's minds. But um, I think it'll be quite an entertaining game just, just because of the way Burnley like to play. I think that might suit Fulham, as Jack said. Um, I, th- I mean, it can work both ways, as you say, they could, they could cause problems. I, I think fundamentally... Jack's like spot on about what what's missing. Um, it's so interesting the way these two teams sort of adapted to the Premier League because they were just so, so different. Um, similar dominance of the Championship. Um, Fulham added Premier League experience. I mean, that was the one common factor: Premier League or Champions League experience, basically, to to recruitment. You know, I think Jao Pelinha was among the exceptions, and he was you know, Champions League and fits the Premier League down to a T. Um, experience and they went for youth um, and while there's a load of promising players there it's almost as though you've got too many together you want a few of those that you can nurture and potentially resell down the line or, or grow with the team but you do need those sort of those the nous the nous factor I suppose and um, yeah I, I can see that being being the difference because you're right like at the start of the season I think like most people you presume that they would take that momentum with them to into the Premier League, um, but I mean they spent spent a similar amount of money as well to Fulham around the sixty to seventy million pound mark. I think I'd have to double check that, but it would they did they did spend, um, but just in a different way to, to what Fulham did, and and you know their model will be different. They they will see that the potential of the players, you know, almost Southampton esque maybe in, in in a kind of way that they they did, um, and and you know that might pay off financially, but you you need to be in the Premier League as well. So there's there's a trade-off and Fulham have gone, right, we're going to get in the Premier League, we're going to stabilise and then, then go from there. 
if they can keep this group together, even if they go down this year and they come back up again and they manage to keep it as a kind of core unit under company, I can see this Burnley side, you know, surviving next time round and, and actually developing into a, a decent unit because there are some really, really talented footballers in this team. It's worth remembering that the first time they came up under Sean Dyche, they went straight back down and then came back up, reconsolidated, came back up and stayed in the Premier League for the best part of a decade. So, you know, it, it's not that there isn't history of, of doing something like this. And I think that kind of monetary gap between the Premier League and the Championship, obviously sorted out with parachute payments, does allow you to kind of have a second crack at it, something that we've obviously learned over the years at Fulham. We've learned how to develop and, you know, learn from those mistakes. I can see... Burnley doing something similar. So I think that there is plenty of hope in this Burnley team. And I think that there is a sense that they will improve if they have faith and they can stick with this model. But this has obviously been a very, very steep learning curve for them. And whilst I think they are learning, the problem that I think Burnley are going to have, and I think it's probably similar for someone like Luton, who have been impressive enough in their own way, is that I just don't see who gets dragged into the fight to go, you know, to, to mix it with the three promoted seat teams. And at the moment, everybody else seems like they're just that step above. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with, with Forrest under Nuno Espirito Santo, but when, you know, unless that something goes drastically wrong there, it, it's quite difficult to see them overhauling anyone else in the division. Yeah, I, I still look at like Burnley's start. I still believe, especially last year, when you've come up and you've got newly promoted and you've got that kind of momentum with you and Fulham had that momentum but you can really quickly lose momentum and I think you look at Burnley star they lost to City that's obvious but they also lost to Villa again like you look at the season that Villa are having lost to Tottenham and they you know big defeats as well it had such a tough start and I, I think that's such an underrated thing about Fulham last season is those first five games were the tone setter for us and the fact that we had eight points after five and you look at Burnley they had one point after five already they were climbing an uphill mountain I guess what's been disappointing for Burnley is even when the fixtures have got easier in this set you know this, the, the games that they've only that they've won are still only the games against their fellow promoted sides they haven't got a win other than against Luton and against Sheffield United. And I think that's been such a, a body blow for them. Um, Jack, in terms of uh, Fulham going into this game, I mean, there's a lot of chopping and changing that's been happening every every week. We made five changes um, for last night. I, I would I would expect to see someone like Kearney come back into the starting lineup here, perhaps at the cottage. Going to have a little bit of time on the ball to do his thing. It feels like a game tailor made for him. Other than that, I wouldn't have thought too many changes unless we just want to mix it up on the wing. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you have the striker conversation again, but we've seen that Burnley can struggle with being pressed out of the back um, and they do like to, to to play that kind of singular style. It has got a little bit more varied, but I think that if Fulham can get into them in those first 20 minutes, the, that high press should, you know, should, should cause Burnley problems. So you'd imagine by that metric... Rodrigo Muniz is the obvious starter because of his work rate around there. Um, I think that, you know, you're looking at a very similar team apart from Tom Kearney perhaps comes in. The only thing that might be interesting is that, you know, that height thing that was discussed earlier and the fact that they have struggled from, from crosses, from set pieces. I wonder if Sasha Lukic gets a look in, but I've also said this about 15 times and he never seems to. So it it would make sense if there is an opportunity here for someone like Sasha to actually be able to to show what they you know can do in these situations but Fulham have been so good at you know basically pushing our own game plan on teams at the cottage that actually maybe it's not necessarily worth completely worrying about where Burnley's weak points are and just assuming that Fulham are going to try and do what we've done to the last two sides that have visited the cottage completely and utterly overwhelm them with how we want to play and then go from there. So I'd imagine that Kenny comes back in. It looks for a, a little bit more control for Fulham. And and therefore, there isn't all that many changes aside from him in the starting eleven. And you just wonder, Peter, maybe like with the set piece thing, I wondered if Andreas Pereira, just with, with his with his set piece ability and his dead ball ability, although one of the moments he had as a dead ball ability last night, he maybe took one of the worst free kicks I've ever seen um, straight into the uh, straight into the home end. But generally, he might be a, a bit of an advantage. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the funny thing with Fulham, I mean, Willian had a free kick in the first half, didn't he? That went under the wall. I mean, for the free kick takers that Fulham have, Willian, Pereira, Harry Wilson, I mean, they should be scoring more free kicks. When's this going to happen? <laughs> when are we going to see a free kick go in? So, um, I think that was the thing. The other thing to mention also, since you're mentioning like erratic set plays, oh my plays god, I know what you're going to say here. That, that, that Willian switch of play <laughs> um, in the first half. Was, uh, was was slightly bewildering. Um, we basically, the ball's played out to him. And I think I think clearly Fulham wanted to switch the play because Everton liked to sort of bunch around, you know, just follow the ball, you know. And if you switch the play, you might stretch them a little bit. Gets it completely wrong. Completely, <laughs> completely wrong. And he sort of puts it on Tosin's head, who's then <laughs> under pressure immediately. Um, there was a very swift apology to, uh, to Tosin from William after that. Um, but yes. There was a, there was a couple of other hairy moments last night. There was the um, the Wilson back pass that Leno did so well to read because he undercooked it, and then thirty seconds later, Calvin Bassey needed to pass it back to Burton. Leno he thought, "I better not do what Harry Wilson did and undercook it." And absolutely spanked it out to him. I was like, "All right, lads, we we can, this is tense enough without you like constantly testing like Burnt Leno's touch and reactions here. Like, could we just pass it forward, please? Like, stop with this." Oh God, I still haven't really recovered from all the tension last night. But yeah, um, no, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the the Willian. I mean, we're not nitpicking. We're through to the semi-finals. I'm delighted <laughs> yeah, about it. It's just but amazing, like, isn't it? God, and he did it again as well. That was the mad thing. He thought, well, that worked. That didn't work first time. I'm going to try it again and see if it works any better. And it didn't. It's um, clearly a ploy, wasn't it? I mean, they wanted to do it. it just, it just didn't yeah. Come also, we should probably mention um, Carlos Vinicius's penalty, which is probably going to get sort of overlooked a little bit. But his penalty was the one that kept Fulham in the game. Because, um, mm. you know, obviously Anana missed, but Vinicius still had to score. Was 100% um, convinced he was spanking that into the Gladys end. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I mentioned it. Um, it's a really good pen. Really good excellent. pen. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well done. Well done, Carlos. After a tough couple of months, it was definitely a clutch one for Fulham. Right, we'll take a break there. We'll say goodbye to Peter. Thank you for coming on this morning, mate. Oh, thank you for having me. Have a good Christmas. Fellow. Yeah, we'll see you before then. Enjoy. Festive yeah. greetings. Merry Christmas, Peter. Merry Christmas, Peter. And we'll be back after the break with some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Uh, we're just going to take uh, five, six minutes to go through some of your emails. So I'm going to go first of all to... Isaac Menso, he said, Hi Fulhamish, does our cup run impact whether or not Polina moves in January? For all the transfer talk, it seems like Zhao loves the club and wants to achieve things with us and Marco. The semi-final cup ties wrap up by the 22nd of January, leaving another week until transfer deadline day. If we are still in the running and off to Wembley, does that increase our chances of hanging on to Zhao until the summer? Absolutely love the show. Um, Big up yourselves, come on you whites. And that's from Isaac in London. Um, I mean, surely, Jack, surely. I, I still have feeling fairly confident about Zhao's hope, uh, chances of staying until the summer anyway, just through blind faith, not through any real knowledge. But if we're in a cup final, there's no way he leaves, surely. Yeah, although he won't know that. <laughs> Time. Well, he will. Well, he will. Because if we're through on the twenty second of January, there's still a week that, uh, well, that he could. Is it week commencing twenty second? Isn't it? So, so it's on the twenty fourth. You okay. still got a week to know whether you whether in the cup final or not. It's a big pressure that it's like if we don't get to this cup final, Joao's going to be off, is he? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah. I, I think. Look, he'll. I think that at the very least he'll be around for these semis, so that gives us some some space to work with. I also think he will stay in January just because I don't really see anyone stumping up the money that Fulham going to need. And equally, I think that if anyone's learned from any mistakes from last time, it's that leaving this to the last minute is probably a bad sign for it ever going through. I mean, it's a good sign for us in that he's probably going to be here. But that said, so then you have this point. So we're looking until the last week of January before Fulham will know if we're in a cup final or not. I think it probably increases the chances, but as you say, I was starting to become relatively convinced that he's going to see out the season here. Um, again, through just a sense of what other clubs are doing, through a sense of what Fulham, are, I don't think are going to budge on on this kind of fee. And I think it's very difficult to convince clubs to do business in January at this point. So it'll be interesting, but I think it probably adds another layer to this to this debate and it adds another layer to the entire situation which is probably in Fulham's favour because the more layers you have to go through the more difficult any sort of transfer is I think 
Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I certainly think this kind of thing helps. And, and, and look, this thing kind of thing makes Fulham attractive to, to potential players as well. I mean, one thing that we should mention, Jack, is that uh, we won't have any of the African Cup of Nations players for the semi-final. Yeah. So no, no, I mean, we always knew that it was going to be tough. There was going to be some run matches in January where we'd miss them. But yeah, no Bassi, no Awobi for those, for those semi-finals. No Balo Torre if we, if we need him. And I still haven't heard any more on the, on on Tosin going to to the Cup of Nations. I still just find that unlikely that Tosin's gonna get called up for Nigeria, considering he's never played for them. Yeah, I think it's becoming less and less likely. Um, although with performances last night, he's probably not doing himself. Um, yeah, any any difficulties in? But in he's. That I still I still think, as far as I know, is you know the reason he's reticent about Nigeria is for for the outside shot of of England and. Uh, whilst I think we had all thought, thought that was laughable a, a few months ago and still a long way off. It's performances like last night where you're like, well, he got every chance, fella. Yeah, yeah. No, he's never I, doubted his own, but he's never doubted his own ability. No, and and to be honest, on performances last night, why would he have? Because that's yeah. the, that's where we're at. I, I think, look, it's obviously a bit of a blow in terms of who you get, but equally, you look at the other teams who are in this and they're going to have issues as well. Liverpool will be without Mohamed Salah, for example. West Ham United would be without Mohamed Kudus. We talk about, yeah. you know, the, the different players. Joel Matty would be, oh no, he's, he's not going to be there because he's injured. But, you know, there, there are different players in, in in these places who are who are going to be missing as well. Chelsea would be missing Nicholas Jackson. Now, I don't care if you think that's a good or a bad thing. It's, it, it's just a fact. So yeah. whoever you play against, probably going to have the odd player missing. Um, and look, we to, obviously to Borough, are, to Borough have any players in the African Cup of Nations? <laughs> probably. I mean, I haven't taken an in-depth trip through uh, through Middlesbrough squad, but um, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if they did. So, if you if you kind of look at this, it's going to affect everyone. Obviously, it's some big blows in terms of Bassi and, and Awobi in particular. Um, Balotelli would be a massive blow if something were to happen to Anthony Robinson. So, there's obviously mm. that kind of that kind of background noise but equally we do know that um we do know that Castagna can play on both sides actually um isn't Boris keeper Seni Dieng <laughs> maybe I don't know um, enough about Middlesbrough to, to tell you I was kind of joking they might be missing one. their number yeah. one but look, so I mean it's going to affect everyone right and and ideally we would have a Wobi um Ambassy for these games but you know that's the way that the cookie crumbles sometimes and it's an opportunity for others to step up as well and at the moment it does feel like people are stepping into different roles doing different things and actually you know becoming a very key part of, of the way that this Fulham side operate it does feel more squad orientated as we talked about a couple of weeks ago the fact that the, it feels like everyone's sort of bought in and there are no standout media stars especially in the front lines everyone is pulling their weight so in that sense it's probably a little bit different to say if we were lacking a Mitrovic from last season and it doesn't look like a focal point all of a sudden, that maybe changes the the dial a little bit more than maybe it does here. Although obviously we saw Bassi missing at the weekend and it wasn't great. Um, but, you know, we, we, we learn and, and, we, and we grow and I think those things are important. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I mean, um, another change of subjects is that uh, African Cup of Nations should be in November and two weeks of it should be during the November international break. Stop putting it in January, which makes totally no sense. I get that it doesn't can't be in the summer, but come on, it should be during an international break. So two weeks of the uh, African Cup of Nations would be whenever nations are playing international football. It would make a lot more sense. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, but the tradition is, it, that's where it lives. It lives in January. It's a bit like when the World Cup was moved and everyone was like, that's ridiculous. I agree. You shouldn't move things for the sake of things. Um, yeah, AFCON is in January. It's a great it's a great tournament. I love watching it and it, it, it has a special place in my heart. So I quite enjoy it being in January. I get, I get it not being in the summer. That makes sense. November and January, what's the difference? What's right. the difference? Apart tradition. from it making sense with the international tradition. football calendar. No, I'm not having that important. Anyway, I uh, move on to these two from. Oh, actually, no, I've got an email here first. This is more of a complaint. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like I only read out positives, um, but you know, I should read out the complaints when they come in. Andrew Stanley says, <laughs> titled, I know it's all about opinions, but um, he said, I think this must be in reference to a previous podcast, maybe Mondays. Uh, he said, Reem is having a second season syndrome, better off without him after two decent performances. Let's have Carvalho back when he couldn't get away quick enough. Perhaps a slightly longer view rather than the way the wind is currently blowing. As long as you realise there's a polar opposite opinion out there. All the best, Andy. Fair enough. I, mean, I think it's totally fair on the, um, 
totally fair on the ream front. I don't think I don't think that there was an element here of saying that he was and done by any stretch of the imagination. I just think that obviously when there is an element of how well these two are playing together, you start to look at what Fulham are trying to do here. And I thought they were trying to future-proof by looking at potentially phasing out a player who is in the you know, Indian summer, shall we say, of his career. There is that yeah. element of you have to start looking for the future. And the way that Tosin and Bassi have been playing together so far suggests that you know, that maybe that is the way that Fulham are looking for the future. We've just talked about the fact that AFCON is going to be in January. Tim Ream is going to have a, an opportunity there to stake back his place in this team. He's obviously injured at the moment as well, which is yeah you know, an, another kind of part of this equation. But he's going to have a chance here to step back into this team and, you know, and up those performances to show that he deserves to have his place back. Those opportunities are ones that need to be taken and we'll see what happens when, when that comes around. Interesting scenario with Tim Ream because he was put on the bench for the Forest game and then he wasn't in the squad for the West Ham game. Um, Marco said he got injured against Forest, but he didn't play. So I, I can only think it would have been injured in the warm up, which obviously is it does happen well, and is a down. potential. Subs get quite yeah. a, subs get quite a um, vigorous warm down if you will because they haven't played and you obviously get that part where you're going to give it and the players who actually play on the pitch tend to get like quite a light workout after the game but obviously having sort of knocked around post games to interview players and stuff and been around sort of an hour afterwards you do get to see this and actually the way that the subs who don't play and the squad members who don't get on the pitch get warmed down it's actually pretty intense as a session because Mm. it's the it's the equivalent of trying to keep everyone fit or at least as what I've seen in you know in past in past games. So especially if you've got games thick and fast, you are trying to keep people in that in that shape. So maybe it was something to do with that as well. Yeah, no, I just it was it was his intro, and I think a lot of people uh, quote tweeted that little press conference line where he said he got injured against Nottingham. Everyone was like, "What? He didn't even play?" But I remember it must have been the warm up or something. But uh, uh, an odd situation there for sure. Uh, two more. Uh, Colin Magnabola says, "Well, lads, question for the pod regarding the upcoming semi final ticket pricing predictions. <laughs> how do we? How much do we reckon they're going to charge the faithful for a ticket? Guessing it's going to be starting at sixty for a hammy end, Riverside a hundred. Um, they wouldn't want to miss." out on a payday like this uh could be a feature unfortunately not one that fans would like to hear on the pod i mean i know what i think it should be jack it depends who it's against like if we do get borough i suppose that they'll look at that in a slightly different light to if it's chelsea or whichever of west ham and liverpool joins us i I think that will probably play a part but yeah i i mean i think column's right um and obviously not ideal, not what I would want either, but I think he's probably about spot on with those prices, to be honest. 60. I think so. maybe 50, but yeah, I think, I think we're going to be in that ballpark. I just, I, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not going to start passing a load of judgment before it's happened here, but like, come on, you've got to the semi-final, you're one step from Wembley, history making, pack the place out. I know that we've, you probably would think we'd sell out a, a Carabao Cup semi-final. We probably will as well. Anyway, Pack the place out. I never forget the Derby game in the playoff semi-final. 20 quid. Like, it's an extra game. It's one that you couldn't have banked on. You're still getting some money. You get money for being in this stage of the tournament. Just just pack it out and stop looking at your revenues. But look, I'm not going to pass any judgment now. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's if they, get, look, if they get it right, if they get it right, I will praise them. But I, I'm yeah. sceptical. Yeah, I'm sceptical. Finally, this one from Gerard Lyons, and not really a question here, I just enjoyed it. Said, home at 3.51am via dropping my son off. An hour spent getting out of the car park at Goodison didn't matter. I might have also picked up more points than Burnley on the way home. That didn't matter either. It was one of those fabulous Fulham evenings. I knew we were going to win even when they took the penalty that would have finished it at 5-3 to them. Leno saved. I never doubted him. The best part was celebrating Tossin's winner, hugging the Fulham fans all around me and the 10 minutes the team spent bonding in front of the fans after this ranks with the best including my first visit to Goodison in February 1975 when as a 13 year old I went by train with my classmate and Fulham won 2-1 in the FA Cup beating Everton who were then top of the first and we were mid-table in the second Wembley followed he then says have a good Christmas and keep up the great work the podcast best Jerry great stuff couldn't have put it better love that love all of it fantastic stuff Great stuff, Jerry. Yeah. Happy for you. <laughs> 
picked up more points than Burnley as well. Tickled me as well. Very so fun, um, well yeah, wonderful letter to finish off the podcast today. Uh, Jack, what would you like to name the podcast? I think I am going to go with Gordon's Sticky Toffee Heaven. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There were some really go good ones and I got to give credit. You know, we spoke about Soul Bam as the history boys. I was tempted by Robbie's Gladys, Gladys really over. Although I think he would have won it if it was Gladys all over. But I'm going to go with Gordon with <laughs> Sticky Toffee Heaven. Nice one. All right. Well, that'll do for the podcast today. Thank you earlier to Peter for coming on. Jack, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. It's been an absolute pleasure. We'll be back. Don't tell me that we're not dedicated to this podcast on Christmas Eve, uh, looking back at the uh, the Burnley game and everything that happens in there and then looking ahead to Bournemouth. Uh, we'll be back. We'll do a Thursday club uh, in the Christmas break as well, looking back at the Bournemouth game because why the heck not? Why not? We'll be full up with turkey. We'll be fed up with our families. So an hour off to chat Speak to each other. <laughs> my family will full of my fine. <laughs> my family listens to this podcast. Sorry, Dad. I, I won't be sick of you. It's fine. Uh, right. Uh, have a r- w- wonderful rest of your week. I'm sure you will. Come on, you whites. You whites. Uh,